You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message, and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, how's the tribe today? We doing all right? <laughs> all right. We're going to have a good time together today. You know, as we uh, celebrate baptism today, like Gideon said, if you've not got registered and you'd like to, man, if you believed in Christ, go ahead and uh, haul out to the lobby and uh, get registered to be baptized in this service now. Um, part of our conversation today is I wanted to show you this store that I used to go to. Look on screen. Anybody besides me ever go to that store? Raise your hand real quick. Yeah, Circuit City. A bunch of us probably have like old CD players and tape decks that are like in a thrift store or a landfill that came from there, don't we? Um, but who is their major competitor at Circuit City? That's right. This store that's on screen, Best Buy. Um, so I think we all know who won that competition there. But what happened? That's the question. What happened to Circuit City? Well, their demise is outlined and described in Jim Collins' book called How the Mighty Fall. And in that book, what Jim Collins describes is how uh, the CEO and the leadership of Circuit City would not listen to concerned shareholders who were concerned about them staying on task and staying focused on their main business and not being distracted by other endeavors. And what the CEO of Circuit City would always do is point to past performance on the stock market uh, and saying that the company was all good. But the fact of the matter was things were not all good. And on this next slide, uh, you're going to see a chart that kind of charts out the demise of Circuit City. It shows the first step towards decline is what's called a hubris born of success. So they were proud of their success in the marketplace, and then they moved into an undisciplined pursuit of more. And from there is the peak and the beginning point of their decline in what's called the denial of risk and peril. So that's denial or what we would call here self-deception. And Circuit City continued to go downhill until they had to file for bankruptcy in November of 2008. And this denial, or what we call self-deception, is described in the Old Testament of the Bible in Jeremiah's book. That would be chapter 17, verse 9. Look at it with me. The prophet says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? And certainly, I'm looking at a lot of great people here in this room, but all of us, given to our own devices, can be self-deceived and plummet to spiritual bankruptcy. And when I read verses like Jeremiah 17, 9, and when I read stories like the story of Circuit City's demise, it makes me want to look at my own life and evaluate it. Because I can tell you this, 20 years ago, my life was in spiritual Circuit City, but Today, somehow, I'm living in my best buy life. I'm enjoying my life. I'm having a good time in life. I have problems just like everybody else. But by and large, I'm pretty satisfied with uh, what God's doing in my life these days. I know my mission. I know my purpose. And I'm in the process of living out that mission. So how about you? Would you describe your life currently as a best buy life? or as a Circuit City life. 
that's on the decline. And I think a lot of us who are experiencing Best Buy lives know that at any moment, one choice can plummet us into a Circuit City kind of life, can't it? And we don't want to go back there. Many of us do not. So how is it that I went from 20 years ago, a Circuit City life, to my Best Buy life today? It's in one principle. And before I tell you the principle that helps you get on and stay on the Best Buy path, I, I got to tell you up front, you're not going to like it. Most people, when they read books about how to find their purpose, they don't talk about this. Most people would rather have little self-helps or quirky memes, but most people don't want this principle, but I'm going to show it to you today, and it's simply this. You find your mission in what? Submission. Submission is not a sexy thing to talk about. Let's say this out loud together today. Ready? Here we go. You find your mission in submission. Now, we don't like submission. Why is that? Well, first of all, we're, most of us are Americans here. And our country was founded on revolution. We like to stick it to the man. The Brits were the man, so we stuck it to them, took over our own country, and run it even to this point. Another reason that you and I don't like submission is because we've seen gullible people, vulnerable people, taken, taken advantage of by authorities that uh, didn't really care about the people, by politicians, by powerful film producers that took advantage of women, by greedy tech companies who've grown rich and powerful by program programming us with their algorithms and taking our information. Uh, we have seen people taken advantage of by controlling spouses and uh, off-the-rails unsubmitted religious leaders who uh, were controlling and didn't care about the people. And all of those people I described are the man. And we like to stick it to the man, don't we? So look, those of you that are older, in the baby boom generation, you affected the rest of our culture in your early years. Your music talks about how you like to stick it to the man. Remember, you used to sing that Johnny Paycheck song, you can take that job and what? Shove it. I ain't working here no more. You like that? Uh, song by, um, you know, about the boots, Nancy Sinatra, you know, these boots are made for walking and that's just what they'll do. One of these days, these boots are going to what? Walk all over you. Yeah, we love that. And so, you know what happened, baby boomers, is that you grew up and you become the man. That's why the millennials roll their eyes at you and say, okay, boomer, whatever, right? Okay, boomer. And then those in my generation, Generation X, we don't make up a large enough portion of the population for marketers to care to target us, but we grew up in the late 80s and the early 90s, and we uh, listen to music like Public Enemy that says, fight the power, or one of my favorites is the Beastie Boys, and maybe you can finish the lyrics of this song, when they said, you gotta fight for your right to... <laughs> Sinners... <laughs> if you're new here, that one experience just captured the essence of City Tribe Church, a group of people who are willing to fight for their right to party. And you know, in the Bible, it shows us how you find your mission in submission. Now, 
in order to understand a certain concept of the Bible, I want to show you what's called a hermeneutic. Or hermeneutic is a principle of interpreting the Bible, and it's called the first mention principle. So basically what you do is you look in the Bible in the Old Testament for the first time that a particular concept is mentioned in the Bible, and that'll tell you a lot about how that concept is going to play out even into the New Testament of the Bible. So we're going to look today at the story of Hagar um, in, in the Old Testament of the Bible. Now, one of the things that I don't like about a lot of Bible stories, this one included, is that I want all the protagonists, all the heroes in the stories to be uh, morally upright as I define it in modern day times. But the Bible is far more nuanced than that. The Bible is more realistic about its heroes and their imperfections and pointing them out. And the story of Hagar is certainly one of those stories because two of the Bible heroes that are in it are Sarah and Abraham. Now, if you're reading through the Old Testament of the Bible and you see Sarah or Sarai, same lady, different name, she changed her name, as did her husband. His name used to be Abram. Then he was called Abraham. So if you see Abram, Abraham, same dude. Okay, this particular couple, though, Sarah and Abraham, they were dealing with infertility problems. And they didn't have some of the technical advances that we have today to try and solve that problem. And so um, Sarah, the wife in the couple, took matters into her own hands, and she decided to concoct a plan in order to get a baby because she couldn't naturally birth one. So what she did was she went to her maid, whose name was Hagar, and she says, Hagar, I want you to go in there and sleep with my husband, Abraham, so that we can have a kid through you. And Abraham, you know, you would hope he would say, no, honey, I'm not into that. But he's like, I'll take one for the team, honey. And he goes in there and it happens. They birthed this child, right? And what happened was, is after the child was born, then Sarah starts picking on, she starts oppressing Hagar. She's jealous that she can't have a baby herself. And so she starts treating Hagar poorly. And I imagine Hagar's thinking, I just did as I'm told. This is the lady I work for. You know, I just did as I was told. And now she's mad at me and she's treating me poorly. So what does God have to say to Hagar after she's gone through this? Well, the answer to that question is in Genesis chapter 16. Look at verses 9 and 10. It says there, The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and do what? Submit to her authority. Then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. So Hagar goes back, submits herself to Sarah, and God blessed her with this son, a strong son, and she had many descendants, which is what every woman at that period of history wanted for their lives. Now, her son grew up to be a little bit cantankerous, and I'll save his story for another sermon, uh, but let's fast forward to the New Testament today and look at submission there. And this is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. You'll see why in just a minute. Uh, especially as it relates to my wife. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Man, I love that verse. That's, my, that's one of my favorite verses. Can I get an amen from the men? Amen. Right, yeah, so uh, ladies, before you, yeah, the men are applauding. The ladies are grumbling, okay? The ladies, before you start throwing rocks and garbage at me, uh, I, let me explain something about this verse because uh, as much as I like this verse, it's going to go bad for me. And I want to show you why, because the dot, dot, dot. See where there's a dot, dot, dot on screen? It says dot, 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 wives. 
Well, I left a part of the verse out. I, I, I kept the part of the verse that I really like, but I didn't include the part that kind of ruins it for me. So let me show you Ephesians 5.21 without the dot, dot, dot. Submit to who? One another. <laughs> One another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands. So the whole talk of wives submitting to their husbands is in the context of mutual submission. We submit to one another. Dang it, that screwed up my whole verse there and uh, my whole plan for my wife. But anyways, the word for submit in Ephesians is a Greek word, hupotasso, and it means, it's like a military term, it means to, to rank under the other person. And so you find your mission in this mutual submission. Now, I want to show you four areas of life that we need to learn submission in, all of us, men, women uh, alike. Number one, spiritual and moral submission. These days, I have dear friends of mine that they watch for, they're not just watching, you know, in a condescending way, but they watch for any hint of immorality in my life, and they correct me and call me on it. And there are other friends, same, some of the same friends that I go to, if I have any temptation in my life, just a thought of temptation, I go to them and I get prayer. I get help from them. I submit to them and tell them what's going on in my head. And you know why I do that? I've already been in Circuit City decline. I don't want to do that again. I'm not going back to summer school on Circuit City. I want to stay in Best Buy life. And the best way to do that is for me to submit myself to my friends that care about me and they watch for any hint of immorality uh, in my life. But look at number two, emotional health. We submit our emotional health. Over the years, I've gone to seven different counselors to get help in different facets of my life. Doesn't that make you feel good that you have a pastor that's so jacked up he's had to go to seven different counselors in his life? But I would ask you, do you have a go-to person or some go-to people that you can go to regarding your own emotional and mental well-being? We all have to submit our thoughts and our feelings to other people. And if you don't have such a person in your life, you can go to the front page of our website. You scroll down to the bottom right-hand corner and you'll see a referral list of counselors that you could perhaps go to uh, to submit your heart and emotions. Um, but then number three, we submit in marriage and family. Certainly, Paul talks about how kids are submit to their parents. Uh, we also submit this mutual submission within our marriage relationships. By the way, do you ever hear the one about the husband who never learned this mutual submission uh, concept and it went bad for him? You know, a police officer came over to their house and he sees the grisly scene there in this particular house. So the police officer gets on his radio and he radios his sergeant and he said, you know, sergeant, I've got this kind of a weird case here. This, this wife, she killed her husband. She murdered her husband because he stepped on the floor when it was still wet after she mopped it. And uh, then the sergeant radioed back and he said, well, did you arrest her yet? And he said, no, the floor's still wet. See, so uh, you got to learn this uh, mutual submission thing, guys. And uh, it's like T.D. Jake says it well. He says, no woman wants to be in submission to a man who isn't in submission to God. Can I get an amen on that one, right? Um, that's what we want. That's what we aspire to be, men, as men who are submitted to God. But let me show you a fourth area where we want to submit, and it is in our work and our careers. 
You know, when I worked out in the marketplace, wasn't in a church ministry role, I worked for a company and there were some of the managers and some of my supervisors that I didn't agree with their management, I guess, philosophies. Uh, I wouldn't have spoken to people that way or treated people in that way, but I learned to, in appropriate ways, submit myself to their leadership while working in that company. And by the time I left, uh, my supervisor told me, Doug, if you ever need a job, you can always come back here. And that makes me feel good because if you church people ever get tired of me and fire me from the church, then uh, I have a place to go back to and make more money than I make here. Not that I've thought about it. <laughs> kidding. Not kidding. Kidding. Okay. Yeah, you're kidding. But look, so this, this talk on submission comes at a good time in my life. And I had to really look into my own heart and ask myself the question, like, how am I submitted here at the church? Who am I submitted to? Now, certainly in a lot of different ways, I'm submitted to our staff here. They have expertise in areas I don't, and I submit and defer to their decisions and abide by what they say on different uh, decisions here in the church. And, you know, even though I'm standing up here taking the credit for all the effectiveness and the good things that are happening in our church, I'll tell you what's happening. It's because you have a great church staff that serves here behind the scenes and all around. We ought to thank God for them. Right, hon? Now, I had to look for ways to be in submission because, you know, pastors can go off the rails and do some crazy things, right? So we have what's called the City Tribe Overseers. And these are people that are outside of our church that hold me accountable. So if you or our church staff see me going crazy or going off the rails, you can call Ray Vincent, Tony Tamandel, Brent Sadoff, and those men, any one of them, they can come here and they're not impressed by me. They will come here and hold me accountable for the way I should be living and the way I should be operating the church. Then uh, we have our city tribe trustees. And I'm submitted to them when it comes to the finances of the church. That's Mario Hernandez, Mark Roy, Cody Lockwood, Jake Kreifels. We don't make capital expenditures without the approval of the trustees. And then in addition to that, I put together what's called my City Tribe Advisory Board, which consists of Lorena Garza-Gonzalez, Lorenzo Gomez, Marcus Hernandez, Aaron Dockery, and I bounce church decisions off of them for their advice, and I don't like to go against their advice. So I'm a man under authority because I want to stay on my best by life. And I would agree with the great Catholic author Thomas Akempis who said these words, carry the cross patiently and with perfect submission, and in the end, it shall carry you. Isn't that the truth? Carry the cross patiently and with perfect submission, and in the end, it shall carry you. You. Now, there are three enemies of you appropriately submitting. There are three enemies, three things that will keep you from walking in submission in the right way. Number one is self-deception. Remember the Best Buy or the, the Circuit City story. Remember why Best Buy won and Circuit City did not is because there was a sense of self-deception at Circuit City. I've had conversations with people who are married and men or women talking about their spouse and saying, you know, I just don't connect with my spouse anymore, and I've met this other person who's my soulmate. And when they say soulmate, I hear sin mate. When, when someone finds a best friend that's outside their marriage, you're looking at Circuit City self-deception is what you're looking at. 
I've talked to other people that say, you know, I can look at these explicit images on a screen and it won't affect me because, I'm, after all, I'm not physically doing anything with the other person. No, that's some Circuit City self-deception talking right there. I talk to other people that are like, hey, you know, I can afford the payment on that credit card to get this stuff. You better be careful there. That could be Circuit City self-deception talking there. Um, I've talked to some people that they're in relational tension with people all around them. And it's never anybody else's fault. It's always, it, you know, it's, it's never their fault. It's always everybody else's fault. That's what I'm trying to say. If it's everybody else's fault, you got some Circuit City going on in the brain. Self-deception. Some of you watched the Super Bowl and you saw a little hubris born of success, didn't you? It's like in the fourth quarter, the 49ers were up by 10 points and they take this celebratory picture in the end zone when they're 10 up in the fourth quarter against the Chiefs. And I, I didn't care one way or the other about that game, but I can tell you they had a hubris in the fourth quarter. They were already celebrating a win that they had not yet achieved. And those of you that watched the game know the Chiefs came back and won that game. See, we find our mission and we stay on mission when we're in submission. Now, we've seen number one enemy of submission is self-deception. Number two are cultural filters. We all have in our heads what I'm calling today cultural filters. We all have women filters, men and women. We have women filters, the way we view women. Let me explain what I mean by that. Some of us grew up in homes where mom worked outside the home. Other people grew up in homes where mom was supposed to stay home. Um, we look in the Bible, we can see it both ways, right? The Proverbs 31 woman was an entrepreneur and she walked out, worked outside the home. Some people would say, well, women are supposed to stay home with the kids. You know, in Ephesians, we see moms raising the kids, but we also see dads are supposed to take care of the kids in Ephesians. So I think it can work either way. Um, you know, some people would say, excuse me, some people would say, well, the man is supposed to take out the garbage and cut the grass. I say that's self-deception. That's what the kids are for, right? That's, that's, what, the, that's what that's all about. But we have these filters there in our heads. And so one of them is what I'm calling the machismo filter, right? And machismo filter is one of the ones in our particular culture, in our city, that I believe is affecting a lot of people in negative ways. In fact, machismo guy, you're driving your lady crazy. In fact, you're driving her to drink. It's like that couple that was sitting around drinking wine together, right? And the husband and wife were sitting there drinking wine. And then out of the blue, the, the wife just says, I love you. And the husband says, is that you talking or the wine? And she says, it's me talking to the wine. See, so uh, that, that's the way that goes, machismo guy. But here, let me show you one real practical way that we can submit, mutually submit in our marriage relationships. And that is we can submit our cell phones, social media, and all email accounts to our partner there. And when I just said that, some of you thought to yourself, no, 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 no. Some of you got the sweats. You're like, Pastor Doug, don't do some exercise where you like hand me, you know, make me hand my phone over right now in the church service. Well, you can relax. I'm not going to do that to you. But your response to me talking about submitting everything on your phone to your partner uh, speaks a lot towards your heart about mutual submission. See, so uh, we build the bridge of trust between our spouse with this type of mutual submission. Now, there's also career filters. Uh, a career can destroy mutual 
submission. We all should have careers. Oftentimes, there's a husband or a wife that feels so invigorated by their career mission that their marriage becomes an afterthought. And if your mission sacrifices your marriage, you're not on a God mission. See, our marriages have to come first. Then there's codependence filters. And, uh, you know, submission in the Bible is not being a doormat. And uh, we can't judge our effectiveness in this life if we just force other people. We always have these people that, you know, have to depend on us in these codependent kind of relationships. And some of you need to learn when not to submit. That is, when someone is physically harming or abusing you in any way, you do not submit. Get out of there. If you work for a company or for a manager that is asking you to disobey a clear-cut biblical mandate, you do not submit. I don't care how big the deal is. I don't care how much the money is. We don't submit when people are asking us to disobey clear-cut moral principles from God's word. So we've seen the enemies of submission are self-deception, filters, but look at the third one, an inner wound. An inner wound affects the way that we interact with everyone else around us. So some of us have been rejected at different times in our lives, and it makes us want to bail out on a rejection before we get rejected again. Some of you know what that's like. It's the least things happens, and your rejection wound pops up. Others of us have been betrayed, and that wound affects the way we're able to mutually submit. Some have been shafted by a supervisor at work out of compensation, and it's a wound. Others have had teenage kids that spoke venom to you and disrespected you, and you let those words penetrate your heart, and you feel unappreciated and unloved by your kids. Other kids have had parents who have disappointed them, not been there present for them in the way that you wanted at your life events, at your sports games, at your competitions for school. Your parents weren't there, and it created a wound. There are all kinds of wounds. There are religious wounds. When you were a part of a faith community or some church or religious environment and a controlling, unsubmitted leader was guiding that spiritual community or that church, and you were wounded by the way that you were controlled or the way that you were taken advantage of. And what I'd like to do today is help you move to the next phase of healing in your own heart from those different wounds, many of which I've just mentioned. And here's how we'll do it. I want you to imagine just for a minute that I'm the person that wounded you and hurt you and disappointed you. Can you do that? And as you imagine that I'm the person that hurt, hurt you, I'm going to say what that person should say if he or she were standing right here before you today. You ready? I want to say to you, I was so wrong in the way I abused or hurt you. Will you please forgive me? I was wrong. I was so off base in the things that I said to you, the way I disrespected you. And the words that I spoke were like daggers that just went into your heart and created emotional wounds. And I was so utterly wrong. Will you please forgive me? I wasn't there for you, present for you, like you needed. 
and I'm not making excuses for that. It was wrong. I wasn't there. Will you please forgive me for not being there when you needed me the most? I swindled you out of money, resources in the marketplace, and you were owed that compensation, and it was like I was stealing from you, and I was so wrong. Will you please forgive me for that? I took advantage of you in a religious environment, and you trusted me, but I took advantage and controlled, and it was wrong. Will you please forgive me? If you can just in your own heart now say, yes, I can forgive. You move to the next level of spiritual healing in your heart. And you know why healing is possible in our hearts? And do you know why we can get forgiveness of our own individual sins? It's because Jesus found his mission in submission. Jesus was praying in a garden before he would go to the cross. And he said, Father, if you could just pass this cup from me, I don't want to drink of the cup of suffering. But ultimately Jesus says, not my will, but yours be done. And he went to the cross to die for my sin and for yours. The way I like to think of the gospel is real simple. It's like I'm here and I want to be free to have relationship with God. Jesus is here. He is free to have relationship with God. But you know, my problem over here is that I'm carrying the weight like this kettlebell. I'm carrying the weight of my sin. It separates me from God and it weighs down my soul and keeps me from God. But what the gospel says is that Jesus over here took the weight of my sin upon himself so that back over here I could be free to connect with God and God brought someone into this room today to receive that truth for your life so with that in mind how about we bow for prayer as we bow before the Lord maybe you just want to pray something in your own heart and mind like this look God I choose right now in this moment to believe that Jesus Christ took the kettlebell, the weight of my sin upon himself on the cross and I welcome you into my life, God. Welcome in. Thank you for coming into my life. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Well, if you're registered to be baptized today, I'd like you to stand to your feet and come down to the steps right here and just line up to my right, your left here at the front of the stage. Now, as they're waking, making their way here uh, if you invited someone to church who is being baptized today that I'd like you to come down and stand with them as they're being baptized uh, because not only do we want to honor Jesus and the person being baptized but we want to honor you for inviting them um, one other thing I want to mention is that the first step of submission to Jesus after you believed is this ordinance of baptism I was inspired by Thomas Roberts, who had been an atheist most of his life, but he came to faith in Christ in the hospital when he was dying of cancer on a breathing machine. He was in hospice. And his last request before he died was that his doctor would allow him to be baptized so he would be in full uh, submission 
to Jesus. So at his baptism, they read Romans chapter six, verse four, which says, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might live a new life. And did you know that six days after this guy, Thomas Roberts was baptized, he died. He died fully submitted to Christ. Now, did he have to be baptized to have a relationship with God? No, God would have loved him either way because he had believed. But Thomas, it was so important to him to be submitted to Christ fully that he went through the extra effort to be baptized. You can see his picture on screen. And as I look at that picture, I think to myself, you know, if I believed and wasn't baptized, what's my excuse? If this guy can get his doctor's permission to get off the breathing machine for a couple of minutes, you know, to be baptized, then what's my excuse? And so if you have believed, then perhaps Thomas would inspire you towards uh, moving towards the lobby and getting registered to be baptized. So we've got a good group to be baptized today, and Pastor Lee is here to baptize. And, you know, uh, as we enjoy this beautiful experience, let's stay seated until everybody's done being baptized, and then we'll stand up and worship and thank God for the awesome thing that he's doing in the hearts and lives of people here in our church. And Lord, we thank you for the beauty of these folks who have been baptized here in this service and all of our services today. We love you and thank you. We get to enjoy the beauty of new creation and all that you have accomplished for us on the cross pictured in baptism. We love you and thank you for what you're doing in our hearts, in our lives, in our church. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. We're glad you were part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.